The reading today will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. That can be found on pages uh, or page uh, 1155. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, page 1155. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Shall I say a prayer before we look at it together? Father, uh, we've just read through those words. Michael's read them to us. Please, Heavenly Father, as we look at what the Bible says, uh, would it make sense to us, we pray? Uh, Would it speak into our lives? Would you speak into our lives, we pray? Help us to know you and to understand your purposes better. In Jesus' name, amen. So Easter um, is the time of year when the mainstream media usually try to run a story about some people who should believe in the resurrection but don't. Now in the olden days they used to be able to always find a bishop um, who would would not believe in the resurrection but he's now retired. And uh, so nowadays they run surveys. So this year the BBC commissioned a survey. Uh, 2,010 people were spoken to on the phone. And of those who call themselves Christians, a quarter said that they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so that was the headline, a quarter of Christians don't believe in the resurrection of 2,010 people spoken to. Of which, anyway. um, So... This was the headline, and then uh, they got some uh, an expert, in inverted commas for the tape, um, that uh, a lady who runs something called Modern Church, which I hadn't heard of before, who said that science and also philosophical thought has progressed. So that's why people don't believe in the resurrection. Now, I've done that in a sort of slightly jokey way as an introduction, but... There are some serious issues raised there of um, the fact that our culture is quite sceptical about miracles, although less so now than it was, you know, in the 80s, I seem to remember. People are accepting that they can't actually explain everything with science nowadays. But there's a temptation, I think, to sort of focus, maybe to downplay the resurrection, to downplay the miraculous a bit. 
Maybe let's just focus on the sort of good Christian morals and doing the right thing and, and Christian values. Is that what we should do as Christians in modern times? Focus there and, and, and sort of a bit less on things like the resurrection that not everyone believes in. I think to some people that seems like the answer and I can see the appeal of it. But what would the Apostle Paul say to that idea? We don't have to wonder, we don't have to guess what he'd say because he's written 1 Corinthians 15 about exactly this. Because actually as he was teaching and as he was writing the people he was speaking to were sceptical about resurrection too. I don't know if you remember the story of uh, Acts 17, Paul going to Athens, going up on the Acropolis where we've got all these temples. And eventually he preaches to the crowd and he's preaching about Jesus. And when he gets to the resurrection, that's the point at which people sneer at him and mock him and deride him. Uh, Jews uh, 2,000 years ago, some of them didn't believe in the resurrection. The the, uh, group called the Sadducees. And the way to remember that is that's why they were sad, you see. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. No. E.T. is looking at me stony faced like that's not at all funny. I like it. Anyway. um, (laughs) So there was a whole group within the Jewish people who didn't believe in resurrection. And the people Paul's writing to here in 1 Corinthians 15, they're, they're Greeks. And the Greeks, well, you see, you see it in verse 12, don't you? If you look down just a bit after what we read, some of them were saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Their idea was that the body was a bit, you don't really like the body. They dreamed of, of just being pure spirits in the future sometime. They want to be liberated from the body to have a purely spiritual existence. So the idea of a resurrected body, oh dear, we don't want one of those. No, thank you. And so it seems that it would deny that they would have a bodily existence in the future because their culture didn't believe in that. And so possibly they were denying that Jesus rose from the dead as well. They were sceptical. And um, so... It's great to have this chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, because here Paul is answering the scepticism, explaining and giving this really robust account of the resurrection. So we're going to have a couple of weeks in it, looking at either end of it, the beginning and the end of it. Uh, At the beginning, verses 1 to 11, what we read this morning, I think the way to summarise what he's saying is that there are two things he wants us to think about. One is uh, experience and the other is evidence. And we're going to focus on uh, evidence first of all. That's the focus of verses 3 to 10. Look at verse 3. Paul says this is something of first importance. This is not something that you could kind of say, I'm a Christian but I don't really think this is very important, this whole resurrection business. Now, it's of first importance, says Jesus. He summarizes the Christian message uh, in verses 3 and 4 with three, uh, sorry, four striking that's. Do you see that? What is the Christian message? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter and the twelve. And it's really interesting. He, he tells us 
that he was raised in the context of that he was buried and that he appeared. So what does, what does that matter? Why do those go together? That he was buried. Why does that matter? Well, you can't bury a spirit, can you? You bury a body. And they put Jesus' body in the tomb. All the Gospels tell us that. And so, when on the third day, the women went to the tomb, and the body was gone, Jesus had risen, it was a body that was raised, not just a spirit. And, and you see, it says he appeared. And notice it doesn't say he appeared in people, but he appeared to people. And Paul starts a list, doesn't he? Starting in verse 5, he appeared to Peter, then to the rest of the 12. Verse 6, to 500 people on one occasion. And the implication is, he says that you know, they weren't, they're not all still living, but most of them are. And the implication is, you go and talk to them. You know, here you are in Corinth, but if you ever visit Jerusalem, go and knock on the door of whoever and... Ask them about their experience. Ask them, and they will tell you. They were witness of these things. These weren't private encounters. They were public appearances. And they weren't inner experiences of Christ in the heart. Notice, he doesn't say, Christ appeared to all his people. Or something like that. He says Christ appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the twelve, and then he appeared to... And he starts listing out the specific people that Christ appeared to. If he was talking about some sort of spiritual experience, some sort of spiritual encounter with Christ, wouldn't he say all his people? Because isn't that the case? Christ dwells in the hearts of every Christian believer, doesn't he? By the Holy Spirit. So he's not talking about that. He says... Christ appeared to the apostles and the others physically. They saw it so that they knew that he'd risen, so that they could then be eyewitness testimony to others. And that's what's recorded in the New Testament. And then in verse 8, Paul says, the Lord also appeared to him too. As one abnormally born, this is an oddity. And obviously for, for him, he's really conscious, isn't he? He talks about the grace of God to him in verse 10. He's really conscious of that being a, a very personal and wonderful experience. But, but more than that, he's offering it and he's writing about it as, as another piece of evidence. Because if you think about the story of, of Paul's life, what was he doing? He was persecuting the church. He mentions that in verse 9, doesn't he? He was trying to get rid of the church at all costs and... Stop these people from saying that Jesus was the Messiah. And he went from that to being someone who was proclaiming Christ all around the Roman world and suffering for Christ in um, grim ways, which he lists in 2 Corinthians, all the things he had to go through as an apostle of Christ, working hard to make Jesus' name known. What produced that change? Well, Paul says very simply, it was because he met the risen Christ and his life was turned around. One more piece of evidence um, mentioned here is the testimony of the Old Testament. You see, all the events of Jesus' life, of his death, of his resurrection, 
If they were just sort of spectacular happenings in a vacuum and people didn't have any context for them, they may well have thought, well, wow, you know, Jesus, this was amazing meeting him, but I don't really know what it means. I don't know. I mean, and everyone would have an opinion, as I'm sure they did at the time, but no one would know whose opinion was right, what it did actually mean, if it happened in a vacuum, but it didn't happen in a vacuum. Hundreds of years beforehand, um, you had prophecies at the end of the Old Testament about the Christ, the Messiah, who was going to come. And Jesus, when he came, fulfilled them in all kinds of detail. So this phrase that's repeated here, his, his death, his resurrection, was according to the Scriptures. If you've never seen that, uh, maybe look up Psalm 22 sometime. Uh, written by David, so uh, I don't know, about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And, and as you read Psalm 22, ask yourself the question, what, what is this talking about? Or perhaps, who is this talking about? And to understand what happened when Jesus died, well, we read it on Good Friday, uh, Isaiah 53. Explains what the servant who would come would do what his death would mean and it's exactly what Paul summarizes here isn't it in verse 3 that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures there's plenty of evidence I um we've uh, we gave away all our copies of uh, your verdict last uh, last week um this is uh, my copy, which is the oldie version. Uh, there are ten more arriving next week, though, so if you didn't get one or you'd like another for a friend or to, to use yourself because you've given yours away, then um, there should be another, um, another one available next week. Uh, but there's, there's plenty of evidence to look at, to think about, and to realise that there are good reasons to believe with total confidence that Jesus rose from the dead In September 2010, the BBC marked the 70th anniversary of the Battle of Britain with a one-off drama for TV called First Light. It was based on the experiences of a man called Geoffrey Wellham, who joined the RAF in 1939, aged just 17, and became a Spitfire pilot, flying extensive missions as part of the Battle of Britain. Uh, the reason I mention it, it's, it's grippingly told... Uh, It's a really good drama, uh, telling the true story. But before the the dramatisation with the actors starts, you see right at the beginning of the film, Geoffrey Wellham himself, as an 89-year-old man, sitting behind the wheel of his car, overlooking the white cliffs of Dover. And he introduces about what, what you're about to see. And he says... You know, people ask me how I can remember 70 years on. I ask them, how could I forget? Those events, what he was involved in as he flew sorties in the Battle of Britain, are etched into his mind for the rest of his days. It's so vivid for him. And I saw that in my own grandfather, who was a Sussex gunner and uh, part of sort of putting together the regimental history. 
Um, he had such a recall. He was often talking about the war. He had such a recall of where he was on a particular date and who was there and what happened and which battle they were fighting. And, and it was as though that part of his life was in technicolour and the rest of it was in black and white by comparison. So maybe you wonder, or maybe you have sceptical friends or family who say, well, how could they possibly, how could we, what we read in the New Testament be what really happened? I mean, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it might have been years after Jesus actually died and rose. Isn't it all hearsay? Isn't it all what they made up? No. It's exactly the same for the disciples as it was for Geoffrey Wellham, for my grandfather. If you'd witnessed Jesus doing those miracles and then dying and your, tr- and your experience of tragedy and then you'd met him, risen from the dead, you are not going to forget that for the rest of the, your days, particularly when you spend the whole of your life telling everybody about it. We can have real confidence that what we're reading is not just a nice story but history. This is evidence And we can have confidence, therefore. We're not believing something foolish. We're not being gullible. We're not being naive. This is real. And the fact that we know it's real, we we can have that confidence that I say, do read this or wait for it next week to get a copy. I'll happily lend that to someone today if you like. It means that real evidence, our experience, therefore, is genuine. We're not making that up. Uh, let's go back to the beginning of what Paul writes. Um, in verses uh, 1 and 2, he reminds the Corinthians of how they became Christians. That they uh, were preached, they heard this message about Jesus, they received it, and they've taken their stand on it. Now, some people become Christians after, after reading a book like this and thinking about things and a long period of investigating all the facts, all the evidence. And, and for those people, I know, C.S. Lewis was one of those people, wasn't he? And for those people, often they become Christians and there's a really clear before and after and they've thought it all through and they often are very kind of energetic Christians like C.S. Lewis was. But most people become Christians because they hear the message and they put their faith in it and they experience new life in Jesus. And then... The questions come later. They've not thought through everything through. Maybe you become Christian as a child or you become a Christian at a time in your life when someone's told you the message and you think, wow, that's wonderful. Uh, and you begin to pray and you begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But then you meet a skeptic in your office or your friends um, start to say, sorry, you become a Christian? Oh, come on or family members are concerned about you, or just you live life for a bit and you experience pain and suffering and the questions come, why has that happened? Why has it happened to me? Why has it happened to our family? I thought if God's with me that I wouldn't suffer anymore, which is not what's promised. If we follow a crucified saviour, that's not going to be the path we've tread, is it? But, but instinctively we kind of have questions around that. Of course we do, because... The pain makes us ask those questions. And we begin to ask, oh, did I, did I believe the wrong thing? Am I just kidding myself? Is it just a nice story I've believed? Or is it something that's true? Have I been oversold the Christian faith? 
in the way that so many things in our culture we're oversold it promises to do a gazillion things for you know the gadget's useful but it's not all that it's promised to be is the christian faith the same well at that point it's really helpful to look at the evidence which is why we started there verses 3 to 10 and all the other things um, to, to read and to think about but but paul also wants to to just reassure us that what we heard because we know it came from reliable sources is true and that it's real it's real in our lives it's real those four that's if we believe that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised that he appeared then we will be saved that's what paul says with confidence verse two you will be set you are saved if you hold firmly to the word i preach to you so Val Grieve, the uh, author of this, uh, describes at the beginning how um, when he went to university, by that stage of his life as an 18-year-old, I guess, um, he decided he was an atheist, but that he uh, made a Christian friend there in the early days and had had all kinds of discussions and arguments with this Christian friend. He was confident, Val Grieve, that he was right and that he would uh, show this uh, Christian friend how uh, mistaken he was. Uh, but as a result of those conversations he found himself thinking well what is the meaning of life what is it all about what is there is there any evidence for the christian faith and then it was uh, one easter sunday that everything changed for him in his words i woke up in the morning of that day with no thoughts of christ at all in my mind i was as full of this world as the next person and suddenly the thought came to me that on Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. He was alive and I could come into contact with him. Something inexplicable happened to me. I suddenly knelt down and talked to Christ. I suddenly knew he was living, that he was near me and that he wanted to enter my life. Now it feels different for different people becoming a Christian when the message of Jesus actually enters in. But it's genuine, like Valve Grieve is describing his experience there. It's a genuine experience of actually in the here and now realizing that God is alive, he's real, he's close when we pray to him. We have a real conversation going on with God. It's not just all talking to the ceiling. That the forgiveness of sins we're promised is, is real. It comes into our lives and our souls are clean. And what the physical resurrection of Jesus tells us is that there's even more to come. That that spiritual experience which we know now is, is wonderful. The forgiveness of sins, a real relationship with God. It's, it's genuine experience. We're not making it up. But there's even more to come. There's a real future, substantial, physical hope that we have. And things in our experience now will point to it. Uh, every promise of beauty that we see, every green bud in springtime that's bursting with life, every blossom on the trees, every time uh, life is bursting from the ground, every time we're transported by the beauty of a painting or a song or a poem, every promise of beauty now is a hint, 
a clue, a pointer to what will be fulfilled in the new creation begun by the resurrection. That in the future there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth where everything is right. Everything is right. The corruption is gone. The sin is gone. That's the Christian hope. It's a certain hope because Jesus rose. In the words of C.S. Lewis, Jesus has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has fought, he has met and fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. So, verse 2, hold on to this. See? See it there? This gospel, you're saved. If you, if you hold firmly to the words I preach to you. If you don't yet know this for yourself, don't go anywhere else. Don't look elsewhere. There's no need to look elsewhere. There is one who has come from God, who has died for sin, who has risen from the dead. He is the one to go to. He is the one we hold on to, his message of truth. And for all of us who do know that, don't wander off. Don't let go of it. Um, All that we need to do to be saved is to stay put. This is the gospel we've taken our stand on. This is what we hold on to, is that Jesus has done all this for us. And so we don't move on to other things. We don't become cynical with old age and think, oh yeah, I'm not sure I believe either. We just say, okay, Jesus, there are good reasons to believe. You've done it for me. Thank you. And I want to stand on this truth. I want to build my life on this truth. I want to raise a family on this truth. These things are first importance. I want to hold on to it as I go to work on Monday morning. I want to share it as I go to work on Monday morning. To keep standing on the truth that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's certain hope. And it's the most wonderful news for a needy and dying world.